You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening. It's Monday the 15th of November, grey day here in TW11. It was a a sparkling weekend on the racecourse at Cheltenham. Some excellent performances yesterday, arguably the best day of the three, with Numi Negra strutting his stuff in the two-mile chase and West Cork following up for Dan and Harry Skelton in the feature Great Wood Hurdle. We spoke to Dan last week about how important this last weekend might have been and so it proved it was a roller coaster ride for his brother Harry Skelton who was in the headlines after a dramatic novice chase on Friday and grabbed a whole load of them for uh, happier reasons yesterday and I'll be speaking to him at some length later in the programme but first of all Lydia Hislop is with me today and we need to try and get our heads around this um, development developing story in Ireland that we were touching on last week surrounding the raid that took place early last week on the part of the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine together with the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board and the police on a premises in Ireland on the border of County Leash and County Kildare. Uh, It was the base of an operator called John Warwick. He has been um, named by the Racing Post and by the Irish Independent this weekend uh, as the man from whom substances uh, alleged to be banned for use in racehorses were found uh, and that has set off a, a whole chain of events and, a, and also a, a, a lorry load of speculation as to where this might lead and where this may have originated. So Lydia, where do we start to unpack this story uh, judging by what we've read over the last two or three days? I think there's there's lots of things focusing on the, I, the, the, the gentleman himself, John Warwick, who admits breaking the law, but doesn't admit to breaking the rules of racing and uh, claims to be acting in the interests of animal welfare. Um, he says, he, I like horses and if I can help them, I will. He is quoted there, uh, according to Paul Kim- Kimmage, in a recording with an unnamed source who has provided a lot of the information uh, to Paul Kimmage and also potentially um, uh, is that see, appears to be the source of the surveillance. There's lots of detail that needs to be unpicked and we need to be sure of what facts we know at this stage, where those, those facts might take us, where new facts might take us and what is at this stage speculation and is creating a lot a, a, a lot of um a, of smoke we we need we need to find out what 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 we know at this stage we need to reflect on that i think it would be a useful conversation for you and i to have okay let's do that i'll start by sort of relaying conversations that i've had with the irish horse racing regulatory board this morning which has issued a, a, a an updated official um, statement, which does differ subtly, but I think these subtle differences are important from what was coming out yesterday and the day before. So last week we were we were told this was very much a Department for Agriculture, Food and the Marine DAFM led investigation with the assistance of the police, and then the IHRB were called in when it was noted that there were thoroughbred racehorses in training and licensed trainers on the premises that John Warwick was using 
for his clinics. This has slightly changed. Cornelius Lyser and I last Thursday questioned why the IHRB were latecomers to the party. And that was a line they themselves were rather peddling over the weekend, that they were invitees to the party. They didn't really want to say anything that was going to compromise the, the DAFM investigation. Now, the line slightly changed from the IHRB this morning. They said they've always uh, had close links with DAFM and the Guardian on investigations like this. This is an ongoing investigation, so they don't want to compromise it by saying too much about the specifics. It's a collaborative effort, and they've always asked anyone with any relevant information uh, to call their confidential hotline, and that they would always, the IHRB would always act on that information that they were provided with. So I do think that's a, a subtly interesting starting point, that this very much is an investigation that has been in the in the site or in the sites of the IHRB, and I think we can draw the inference from from some way out. Okay, so we have to draw the conclusion that when the raid became public, the IHRB's reticence to put themselves as a collaborative partner in this was probably uh, due to them being more guarded um, than they now feel is necessary, particularly as um, with them seeming to be the, the junior partner at best in previous reports, that that could be uh, damaging to their reputation in terms of how on top of things they are. So yeah. it sounds to me as though behind the scenes, there's been some negotiation with the IHRB pressing um, the um, DAFM to say, uh, the Department of Ag Agriculture, Food and the Marine, um, to, to say, look, you know, you, you need to think about our reputation here. We need to be uh, showing, showing what it is that we have been doing in this. Uh, precisely, right, and have the confidence of not just the, the racing public, but the wider public. Yeah. Now, Jessica Harrington, whose horse box had been seen entering the premises where John Warwick held his clinic, uh, she has spoken very openly about why she has used John Warwick for treatment on horses who have tendon injuries. And she has been in entirely unapologetic about her association with him. She has also told the Racing Post that her entire stable was tested by officers from the IHRB on the same morning that John Warwick's um, premises, or the premises that John Warwick uses, were, were raided by the uh, triumvirate of authorities. Uh, that is clearly not a coincidence, or at least we're being invited to conclude that that is not a coincidence and shows proactivity on the part of the authorities. We do not know of any other yards that have been tested similarly. We can make the assumption that it can't only have been one. Yes, well, this comes back to the surveillance that I mentioned at the start. So under that surveillance, the source of which we'll come back to, 56 horse boxes had visited the clinic that summer um, several were unbranded, but there were four branded ones. Peter Fahey, Noel C. Kelly, Jessa Har Harrington and Enda Bolger. Um, clearly on the day, Ted Walsh and Liam Burke got caught up in it. Uh, but in terms of the, the information, the intelligence that prompted the authorities to act, it was the first four trainers that I mentioned. So but we can ask the question and it probably would be worth asking the question whether other premises have been... Um, targeted for similar procedures to Jessica Harrington, who she said had an unannounced IHRB inspection at her yard in Kildare. Now, the source of this um, surveillance is interesting because um, 
John Mooney, who is uh, a journalist writing in the Irish edition of the Sunday Times, claimed that a, a private investigator hired by a group of British racehorse trainers had provided some information that was pertinent to uh, this, uh, this, these actions. Um, in the Irish Independent, Paul Kimmage only refers to a private investigator hired by the unnamed source, who is also presented in his article as providing a recording of a phone call with John Warwick. David Walsh in the Sunday Times says, as well as local uh, surveillance, it is believed that the FBI tipped off the Irish authorities. So there seems to be a coalescing of uh, several forms of tip-off or intelligence and surveillance. Um, what the source of that um, surveillance is and the, and the private investigator, that is something that is yet to be completely narrowed down, albeit John Mooney has made that assertion about this person having been hired by British racehorse trainers. We also don't know, Lydia, and this is crucial, what substances have been found. Now, again, this is a this is a discrepancy, which is very interesting um, to pin down. So in the Racing Post on the 10th of November and also in Paul Kimmage's article, um, they refer to substances that were seized um, in the raid on John Warwick's premises um, out of the vehicle. I think that he was driving his phone was also taken. Um, they refer to them as being substances that are banned for use in racehorses. Now, in David Walsh's article, um, the statement that he has from Daffam, all that they are talking about is an operation led by Daffam and the Guardi with IHRB officers in attendance, which led to a seizure of animal remedies. So there's a discrepancy between how the various uh, newspapers are reporting this. And uh, in the article, in the interview in the Racing Post um, with Richard Forrestal uh, that John Warwick said himself, uh, he said, um, he, he declined to identify the, the products. He said they were unlicensed in Ireland. He said there was nothing that would fail a dope test, but I've certainly contravened the rules. There were some products in there that were destined for Kuwait, and I brought them with me because I was flying to Kuwait, but that was, that's beside the point. They shouldn't have been in the country in the first place as far as the law is concerned. I have a letter from the Kuwaitis asking me to bring the products, but the department don't want to know. They're in the country and I can't deny it. So there is a, you know, a conflation between um, what is illegal and what is banned. You know, there are, there are different levels here. So you have, uh, at one stage, you have the law of the land. And I think that John Warwick there in his statement to the Racing Post is conceding that he has broken the laws of the land. Also wrapped up in the laws of the land would be what you are allowed to do if you are, if you are not a vet. So um, things, for example, that are intravenous injecting into joints, you know, that, is the, um, that is the premises of a vet and you are um, infringing, um, certainly in Britain you'd be infringing the law if, if you were to um, uh, do anything intravenous in that way. Now, John Warwick has been keen to stress in all of his um, interviews, uh, both in the recorded one on tape, um, with the source of Paul Kimmage, but also directly with Richard Forrestal, that he doesn't do anything intravenous, that he, he co concentrates on the, the muscular, external, physical way of 
um, uh, recuperating re- recuperating a horse. Um, so th- that's one level. The the is it against the law of the land? Then there's the rules of racing. Is it against the rules of racing? And then of course there's the the moral principle of animal welfare. And you would hope that animal welfare doesn't run against the rules of racing, but you know we all know that there are times when there might be grey areas in that, and and maybe we can come back to it. So the key point is. What are these animal remedies? And if they are substances um, that are banned for the use in racehorses, as Paul Kimmage and the Racing Post assert, have they actually been administered to racehorses? Because the other thing that is clear from the information that is coming out is that John Warwick is very well known, if not more well known, amongst the wider equine world, that he is used in Ireland extensively, and I assume also across Britain, um, for the recuperation and the, the, the therapy of horses that are hunting, horses that are pony racing, horses that are just hacks and a little bit older and feeling aches and pains. So were the, the substances that he has got, were they actually administered to racehorses and thereby breaking the rules of racing? He's also, I felt that he was very careful in the, his use of the language. He said, there is nothing that would fail a dope test. Now, does that suggest that, that it's the letter rather than the spirit of the law that he's abiding by? Or is it is it asserting that these are you know herbal remedies that do not have um, pharmaceutically active chemicals in it that would fall into um, a wholly different category than the sort of more for want of a, a better comparison homeopathic end of things you know the the, the kind of a, a sort of potential quackery end of yeah. um, treating animals. I think this is quite an interesting point because he is clearly somebody who although more sort of established and well-known and mainstream perhaps in the sport horse world, in the, in the eventing world particularly, he is clearly someone who has operated and quite happily operated on what you would call the periphery of orthodoxy in horse mm-hmm. racing. Hence, you know, the, the treatment of Snow Fairy sort of had an almost legendary status to it. That's fine in one respect, Lydia, but obviously within horse racing, you are bound by a set of of rules and a lot of those rules pertain to keep record keeping and 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 the the sport knowing how horses are treated where they are treated when they are treated by whom and with what yes and uh if you are uh, not a uh, licensed vet then you are not um, putting this down in the way that is is required by the rules of racing. Absolutely. So, you know, there you have a grey area. Um, John Warwick describes himself as an equine physical consultant. He works with both thoroughbreds and other sports horses, writes David Walsh. He also describes himself as a vet physio, although he is not qualified in veterinary science. Um, he had a re- reputation for the, for, for the word was that he was good with horses that had physical problems. Um, he has accepted, I think, that he is no longer reg- properly registered as an equine therapist. And in effect, he's now retired from full time practice. But he works in Ireland um, a, a, couple, a few times, a few days a month. And Lydia, within the realms of what is realistic, what should we expect in terms of communication from the authorities now? It would be it would be helpful to know whether any other there were any other unannounced IHRB premises that were sorry any other training yards that were subject to unannounced IHRB 
um, inspections on the same day. Jessica Harrington has been very open and come forward and says that hers has. Have any others been been inspected in the, in the same way? And then it's a case of waiting for um, the uh, products that were seized by Daffam for those to be analysed and their report to come forward on that. And for the hair um, and blood samples that were taken from the IHRB for all the horses that were present in the yard on that day. And that seems to be, according to, um, certainly according to, to Liam Burke, for example, um, horses that just happened to be in the horse box at the time and were on their way somewhere else. But every single horse there was, was tested for blood and hair. So again, we wait on that kind of information to come back. But I just returned to the Paul uh, Kimmage article and he zeroed in on I think that the bit that needs to, do, needs to have more investigation done. John Warwick is alleging that he um, works for Coolmore. Um, and I do a lot of um, yearling work, he says. I'm usually there every second week from April. Now, I should stress that um, Coolmore have emphatically denied having routine work done on the studs yearlings. He's, they're saying, Richard Henry is quoted as saying, none of our people who've been here in Coolmore for a long time have any recollection of John Warwick treating yearlings in here. He's apparently been around the periphery at times in the locality and he may be treated horses that people had shares in with Coolmore and the horses eventually ended up there, but he didn't treat any of the homebred yearlings that we produce here. We have no record of any billing of anything to do with him in relation to Coolmore. He added that we believe John Warwick treated a kid's pony way back. And while the pony yard is on Coolmore, it's a completely different entity and run by separate staff. This was more than 20 years ago. That's the extent of his link to Coolmore as far as we can ascertain. Aidan O'Brien has also said um, he denied that Warwick ever worked for him and suggested that the only way in which their paths had crossed was when uh, Warwick did work um, on horses um, owned by Jim Ryan. So that's the, the uh, Coolmore and Ballydore position. Um, but coming back to what um, John Warwick is asserting, when he was talking about uh, what he does here he says everything we do is physical um, we do our work through biomechanics then he says um, first of all you've got to identify the problem eliminate the discomfort so the muscle can be used by the patient then you've controlled then you've controlled exercise so the muscle is not overused until you have achieved re-stimulation through work and he's pressed on how this works and he says we put in a pro uh, we put a product in there that lowers the neuroblasts. Now, a bit of basic Googling uh, brings up that neuroblasts is our embryonic stem cells. And so is this some sort of um, substance that in effect um, desensitizes the area, controls the pain so that um, the horse, whether in the short term or the long term, I don't know, the horse is able to go into some exercise and build up some strength, which means that um, the tendon area is, has less stress put on it um, while it, it while it is recovering again I, I don't know um, the he, he goes on to John Warwick goes on to say I spent a lot of time in the United States um, when I was a bit younger I learned a lot of things there which are not really used here they have products that we don't have can't have are not supposed to have whatever you want to call it but I like horses and I can and if I can help them I will that was the quote I referred to earlier he said it's totally legal and passes all dope tests whether it's legal to use in the UK is another story, but it's not illegal to have, and it doesn't fail any dope tests. And he goes on to say, the neuroblast control is not one product, it's a special little cocktail. He also describes it as a muscle calming element. He says that um, it would be, um, he suggests that it would be routinely given in America to a horse that's had a proper hard day. You know he's not gonna run in the next five or six days. Um, and 
the sub that, that substance will not pass a dope test. It's six days before you can present the horse for a dope test. But in America, they license so many products that relate to the physical aspect, where in Britain and Ireland, some of these products are not licensed. So this is an area, I think, that is going to merit further investigation. Um, what exactly is said and what is meant here? And we also need to bear in mind that, uh, of course, there are there are elements whereby people can um, assert things and they might be boasting. It might not be completely truthful. Um, certainly when John Warwick was talking to Richard Forrestal, he says that the premises that he was working in, uh, which are um, belong to TJ Comerford and his Canadian partner. And TJ Comerford is the, um, he's the director of Ballantonga Stud um, and uh, the raid took place there. Uh, TJ Comerford is Aidan O'Brien's head lad. Um, uh, Paul Kimmage spoke to him. He said, we didn't know what we were going to, to do with it. This is the stud, but at the time we bought it, Warwick was working out of there, so we kept it the same. Um, whereas when um, uh, John Warwick spoke to Richard Forrestal in the article in the Post on the 30th of November, he says that the site belongs to a lady who spends most of her time in Pennsylvania. So there are some um, differences in one person's account of things and the other account of things. And at the moment, it would seem to be that, that Warwick has been rather um, vaguer, um, uh, untrue or unaware of, um, some, uh, of that particular detail, um, certainly. So, I mean, there's so many things that, that it's always difficult in these areas because people can be, um, can be boasting, uh, they can be protecting other people. Um, you know, they can be doing the opposite of that. So you have to, we, that's why it is so important that we have facts here rather than speculation and, and taking things that people assert as facts, they're very much not the same thing. Well, no doubt watching on Cheltenham yesterday, the star of the show was, was Harry Skelton aboard Nubi Negra uh, and West Cork, ending the meeting on a, on a real high. Uh, Harry, I think it's fair to say that you've been in the goldfish bowl over the last three days. Um, how's it felt as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's you get your ups and your downs, and you know, we went down with talking about it. We're just so lucky that we've got a lot of a lot of nice horses to run, and you don't really get time to sit on it too long. You're on to the next one, and you know, you got you know big chances coming along. So, um, you know, I've learned now that. You, you know, you've got to move forward. To be honest, there wasn't an awful lot that went drastically wrong. It was merely, really, that that, that two-horse race had had so much attention beforehand and even more attention afterwards and uh, Rachel staying on and finishing the race and, and then concentration on why my Drogo came down. It was it was all one of those slightly bizarre racing stories, I suppose. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, to be honest. Um, it was two runners, a lot of talk about it beforehand. And then with what happened, they got a lot of, a lot of you know, press after. Um, and, you know, the three-mile novice chasing had five runners and, and two or three fell. So, uh, yeah, it was just very, very bizarre. I couldn't believe what I was seeing once I got up, to be honest. But, um, yeah, look, we've got to move on. And the horse is absolutely fine and hopefully he never does it again. You said to me after the race that that, that second last fence is a bit of an oddity because he appeared to jump it absolutely fine. He did. He jumped it really well. You couldn't have asked him to jump it any better. Um, just for some reason, it does. It is a bit of a bogey, and it just can catch them out. Um, and that's exactly what it did. Um, 
you know, you see over the, the course of three days, there's a lot of horses that made a made a few mistakes there, and some stood up and some came down. So um, that is an obviously an obviously mistake, and hopefully he learns from it. I mean, you're pretty uh, self-critical when you think you've ballsed it up. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying this just because you're on the other end of the line. I couldn't really see what m- more you could have done in that instance. No, like, I, I, you know, if you know you've made a mistake, you, you know, if you want to be improved and going forward, you you should be knowing when you've made a mistake. And I, I, I believe that, you know, we did nothing wrong there. I wouldn't have ridden the fence any different. I met it on a good stride. Um, he was balanced going into it. I had plenty of horse underneath me. He he, he had a right old blur at the top of the hill. Um, and I was more worried there, to be honest. Um, but then once he sort of jumped three out, he locked onto the bridle and he's absolutely running away. And, um, you know, maybe just going a bit too well, maybe. Um, but look, it's behind us now. And, um, yeah, we move forward. And he's fine. We've seen that, and and we look forward to seeing him again um, quite soon. Hopefully, any idea where? We're not sure yet. Um, there's not a lot of options with the novice chases. Um, a lot of them are novice handicaps. Um, but um, I leave that to Dan. He knows he knows where he'll be going, and um, he'll place him right. So um, we'll just see. I, I wondered what was going through your head when you turned into the same fence on third time lucky, or is the answer nothing? Um, no, uh, I, you know, just rode, rode positively to the fence and made my, de- you know, made, made a decision, stuck by it. Um, third time lucky, I mean, you know, I was in a luxury position at the race, you know, bar, the, bar jumping the last two fences, the race was over. Um, you know, so to be honest, I, the third time lucky, I literally, I'm, I was pulling him up from the back of three out, um, to just slow him right down to get him over the last two. And then you're having to get going again. Do you know what I mean? You're taking all that momentum away from him. Um, you know, and that's probably why some people maybe thought that, oh, he wasn't that impressive at the line. But, like, I, I promise you, he, he's got so much raw speed and raw ability through a race. Um, we haven't seen that yet. Uh, is he the sort of horse you think in a, in a real championship race? Would you dare just let him fly from the outset and just try and and try and he's do him all? He's definitely one of the fastest horses I've ridden. I've never ridden a horse with so much natural, just natural speed. Um, he is so quick, and yeah, I, I've had <laughs> I've had the handbrake on. Um, put it that way. Um, yeah, he'll uh, he'll be a bit of a thrill, I'm sure, when um, the time comes to. To let him on. Okay, well, I'm quite looking forward to seeing that. Newby Negro was good yesterday, wasn't he? Um, did you go into the race with the with with belief that he should win it? Yeah, like we'd been really happy with him at home. Um, he's a stronger horse now. Um, give me a bit of confidence, actually. I know we just got touched off last year in the Champion Chase, but like knowing that he's seeing the trip out well now, um, and we saw that yesterday. You know, he, the way he hit the line was really encouraging to see. We were very positive going um, going into the race. Uh, it went, you know, went absolutely perfectly, and um, he was very impressive. And then, and then doing what West Cork did was a, a, a remar- remarkable training performance. Dan deflected a bit of credit to, to you after that, saying that you'd sort of suggested running him in the race. It was a bold call after six hundred days off the track, a hurly burly race like that. Yeah, it was, I suppose. But um, 
<laughs> we were driving home from racing and Dan said, what, we're going to run in the grade? We hadn't really got anything for it. And I said, well, West Cork, he was second in the grade two. He was a novice, got a bit of class. Um, that's what we did. He'd been working the house down, to be honest, Nick. He'd been absolutely flying. Um, and probably that year that he missed just might have been a blessing because, you know, he's a year older, a year stronger. Um, I think we found his trip now. We did run him over two and a half because he's a point-to-point winner. Um, when he was a novice and he just didn't quite see it out he's a proper two miler with a real good strong gallop suits him well so do you think he's a do you think he's a real one could he be a could he be a, a grade one horse potentially um well you know obviously he's got to keep improving and we're away off that yet you know he's won a handicap off 134 um you know so he's got a long way to go before you are a graded uh, grade one horse um but He's fairly lightly raced. He's unexposed, I think, and uh, he's an improver. So, yeah, look, um, who knows? And I, I probably haven't even mentioned the horse that's that's got sort of most potential to shine this season. I mean, Protectorat ran an amazing race in the Paddy Power, all things considered. Where do you see him landing up at the end of the year? Um, well, look, um, you know the guys who own him, uh, you know John Hales. Elisa, uh, Jed Mason, and Sir Alex—you know—they're brilliant to train for. And you know, we've all we've all got a dream of going back to Cheltenham in March, for which race we're not quite sure yet. Um, but he is—we've uh, always seen him as a three-miler. He's—he's always—you know—he's by Saint the Saint. He loves a bit of cut in the ground, and um, you know. So it was a mighty run, really, under top weight. Uh, I just couldn't go any quicker. I, they went a real strong gallop, and uh, from sort of the water jump, I was I was just in top gear the whole way. Um, his jumping kept him in a position uh, down the back, and then once I sort of turned the top of the hill, uh, I wanted to move out because I knew that once I'd got him rolling, I, I didn't want to get checked in my run, and because I knew like he'd stay really well. So um, that's why I just moved out at the top of the hill, came out got a smooth run I just I'd love to it just rained a bit the night before and just slowed him down a bit might have helped but you know all in all he, he ran a fantastic race um, you know so uh, where we go next we're not you know the options are open a little bit um, but we very much have have March um, in our sights yeah he he ran a, a huge exciting race and there was a lot of uh, sort of narrative in, sort of superimposed on yesterday's events, suggesting that your big celebrations at the line were a sort of release of an uh, emotion and a bit of a you know I told you so. I'm. Uh, uh, do you, do you recognise that, or or is it just delight to be running big winners at Cheltenham? Just delight, just delight, Nick. Like it means so much. You know, it, I enjoy those big days. You know, I do wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. Um, but, you know, I'll enjoy them big days. They're hard to come by. Um, that's why we do it. You know, got a great team behind us. It means so much to all of us. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, the staff get a real kick out of them winners. Um, you know, and it means a lot to me as well. And I'll enjoy them days because you get a lot of bad ones. <laughs> Harry, well done. Harry Skelton there. Uh, what a weekend for the Skeltons. Ups and downs, but not really many downs, to be honest, Lydia. No, I don't think so. They're, they are very much um, ups, I think. Uh, Nubi Negra looks, uh, has really put himself on the Queen Mother Champion chase scene. Obviously, there is a certain Shishkin 
looming on this side of the Irish Sea and on the other side of the Irish Sea, Shaq and Bassois, who is absolutely brilliant in the right conditions. I happen to think those aren't Cheltenham. Um, and Enna Gamen, who of course never made it to the festival last year. Um, and who again, I doubt whether the old course at Cheltenham is going to be exactly his bag either. So it might, in my view, I think Shishkin is, is the one that he's going to have to beat. Put the kettle on was a bit below par, but arguably she was a bit below par when managing to scramble home against much lesser opposition in the Schler this time last year. But Nubinegra, you know, bang on course for the QE2. West Cork, an exciting um, hurdler, um, probably won't go up that much. We'll be, they'll be able to target a series, I would think, think of valuable um, two-mile handicap hurdles. Um, third time, lucky, looked very, very good. Seemed to kill the race in the middle section. Um, before Harry's saying that he's easing off in the closing stages. He did sort of seem to finish more meekly than was the case when he won there in October. But that might have been the powerful way that he went through the middle part of the race. So I think there's clearly ability there. And there's still we're still yet to see the specific set of circumstances that's going to see him unleash his brilliant best. Um, there are a few other you know mishaps, uh, near misses, but obviously the one... Um, the one disappointment or the, the key disappointment would have been the slithering to the ground, the stumbling to the ground on landing two out against them in the match against Gin on Lime on Friday in the novice's uh, two and a half mile um, chase. Um, and really, my Drogo made the lesser mistake than Gin on Lime, but he couldn't get his landing gear out. And hopefully, as a novice, he will learn from that. And I mentioned Harry Skelton. This became even more of a talking point before the race, uh, after the race, and it was before the race. You and I discussed it on Friday at length because it was a match and so on. Right, sh- quick quick um, word on this. Should Rachel Blackmore have pulled up Gin on Lime? Uh, and what did you make of the BHA's uh, stewards report into it in which they uh, suggested that should such an incident take place again, she should take more time to assess the, the horse's well-being before continuing? Okay, so should she have pulled up the horse? No, uh, because she did nothing to contravene the rules of racing. Um, She was riding to the rules and that's what participants, sports players must do. That's exactly what she did. Um, Did she um, and we, the sport, get lucky? Absolutely, I think we did, yes. First of all, I think, I mean, she's conceded herself that the way in which um, Gin and Lime slithered to the ground um, uh, made her mistake. Um, She didn't go sideways in any way, so uh, Rachel Blackmore was able to stay on board, her feet not touching the ground, therefore she wasn't deemed to be um, a faller. However, um, then when the horse was quite quickly rousted into stride and asked to go forward to the final fence, was I absolutely holding my breath and, and, and praying to all... Um, non-existent uh, transcendent beings at the, as she went to the last? Yes, I was, because had something awful happened at the last in terms of um, another fall or an injury became more evident, um, then I think uh, we would have been uh, highly and rightly scrutinised. So whilst I do understand that the BHA um, said afterwards when the stewards had Rachel in, said that in future she needs to take more time to consider whether the horse might be all right, you know, there's an element of them wanting it both ways there. Their rule is that uh, that is not a fall, therefore she can continue. They would argue, uh, Rachel Blackball, or in this case, let's call it, let's, let's depersonalise it, the jockey knew that uh, it was a two-horse race, so why didn't they use the extra time available to them to be able to check that the horse was all right? Because, you know, people suggesting that, um, you know, Rachel Blackmore, because of her experience as a rider, would have been able to assess the well-being of gin and lime in that short period of time. Well, 
that is just you know tosh um she's not um a, she's not a qualified vet she's not a shaman um injuries do not show up necessarily um that quickly um so the the bha though say that, that because she was a match she could have used some extra time to to assess the horse and you know that is probably true and maybe in a calmer moment that somebody might be able to make that calm logical decision but this is in the middle of a race it's a competitive affair and the the, the blood is is literally up the, the 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 competitor spirit is out and a rider is not reasonably going to think like that does the, the sport need to take this incident reflect on what could have happened and maybe draw the line differently well i think it should reflect on what happened and think whether it could draw the line differently but i don't know where it would draw the line dip differently without putting a disproportionate amount of pressure on an individual jockey well when it when the incident is is a similar incident is repeated in 150 years time <laughs> Well, they I mean, that's will, the issue. I mean, they you know, refer, they'll refer back to Blackmore 2021. That's the point. I mean, do you legislate for, for an extreme example like this? Um, I would argue no. Uh, I think I would anyway. I, I'd like to review it. I'd like to have a sensible conversation, as I say. But it, you might just end up at the end of that sensible conversation with saying that the, the status quo should remain. All right. So much we could talk about, but um, we're going to have to eke it out over the week. Lydia, uh, you've got a tip for me for today. I have. It's the 2.15 at Plumpton. It is horse number three, numbers man. Uh, he ran quite a promising second on his chase debut at Foss last, 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 last time. Um, and I think uh, he has got a very good chance of winning for Colin Tissard and Redden Powell. All right. Thanks so much. Tom will be back with you tomorrow. That was Monday, November the 15th. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.